I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. 120 is the... KSL News Time. I'm going to ask uh, Amber once and if we get, uh, we do have this. Currently speaking from Wilmington, Delaware, is President-elect Joe Biden talking about national security and the need to modernize certain defense systems. This comes uh, not long after it was telegraphed by his transition team that he intends to, shortly after taking office, call upon the Defense Production Act, something done by President Trump, something done by presidents in the past. Uh, So let's first, let's do this. Uh, I want to go to Wilmington, Delaware. Let's hear what President-elect Biden has to say. We'll listen to him for a few minutes, get a sense of things, and then uh, you and I will get back together. I want to share with you some information about the Defense Production Act, what it is, how was it originally intended, and do the plans of Joe Biden line up with the original intent of the DPA? Uh, That after remarks from Biden from uh, Wilmington, Delaware. The Department of Defense and the Office of Management and Budget. Right now, we just aren't getting all the information that we need for the ongoing, outgoing, from the outgoing administration in key national security areas. It's nothing short, in my view, of irresponsibility. Finally, we spoke about the day one challenge that we need to address immediately, drawing on the skill sets of the Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Emergency Management Agency. We were briefed on the steps needed to clean up the humanitarian disaster that the Trump administration has systematically created on our southern border. We will institute humane and orderly responses. That means rebuilding the capacity we need to safely and quickly process asylum seekers without creating near-term crisis in the midst of this deadly pandemic. These are hard issues, and the current administration has made them much harder by working to erode our capacity. It's going to take time to rebuild that capacity. We're going to work purposely, diligently, and responsibly to roll back Trump's restrictions starting on day one. But it is not as simple as throwing a switch to turn everything back on, especially amid a pandemic. We'll have to have a process to ensure everyone's health and safety, including the safety of asylum seekers, hoping for a new start in the United States, free of violence and persecution. Of course, an essential part of this will be managing the safe, equitable, an efficient distribution of vaccinations to as many Americans as possible, as quickly as possible. FEMA has an enormous enormous part to play in this, 
And we heard from the former FEMA director, Craig Fugate, today. We want to make sure that our administration is poised to make full use of FEMA's domestic reach and capacity in managing our COVID response. And finally, from every briefer, I was heartened. I was literally heartened to hear about the incredible strength we'll be inheriting in the career professionals and working people across these agencies. They never stop doing their jobs and continue to serve our country day in and day out. All right. We're going to step away from Wilmington, Delaware, continue to monitor the remarks delivered by President-elect Joe Biden as he talks uh, about a wide range of things there. Uh, You heard in just the two minutes or so we dipped in on this address, uh, you heard a number of uh, different topics uh, addressed. There was one common theme, though, and it surprised me. It surprised me that on this day, and also if you remember back, the address delivered from the very same lectern by President-elect Joe Biden on the day that the Electoral College submitted uh, its votes, all but guaranteeing that uh, that President-elect Joe Biden will be inaugurated on January 20th. I was surprised during his remarks then and by his remarks here today, by the focus on the past administration and his by-name references to President Trump. I'm not sure what ground that gains him. I'm not sure uh, what he gains, what the nation gains, by the repeated references to the past. Now, I I know you're probably going to say to yourself, "Uh, Lee, well, okay, where were you? Where, Where were you speaking up along these lines every time you heard President Trump make reference to uh, the shortcomings or at least his perceived uh, shortcomings of President Obama? I, I, I understand that and I agree with that. And I would apply this same uh, principle to those remarks. But, uh, you know, you can only repeat yourself so much after four years. I think the American people would be best served at this moment by uh, a president-elect of either party uh, looking forward. Looking forward. You heard uh, the excitement in the voice of Debbie Dejanovic as we were wrapping up our conversation before the break, looking forward to 2021. Debbie's not alone in that. I'm not alone in that. All right? Looking forward uh, to what's coming is where we will derive the motivation to be optimistic, regardless of politics. Looking backwards, Except when drawing lessons from the past, you know, uh, being doomed to repeat it and all, uh, that saying, that's a true principle. That's not what's happening here today during these remarks, and that's not what happened on the day the the electors cast their vote. It's an interesting decision. I don't quite understand it tactically. Uh, I have been a speechwriter myself. I have been an advisor to, uh, you know, some important folks in similar positions, and I can't imagine under what circumstances I would have advised uh, this course of action. Anyway, that's a tangent. 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. If, if you've made similar observations to me or if you have different thoughts on that, uh, let me know what you think. 57500, the Utah Community Credit Union text line. We have about three minutes left here. I want to talk to you briefly about the Defense Production Act. The Defense Production Act is something that get, got its roots during World War II. The War Powers Act. Now, interestingly, and this is not something that happens anymore, when the needs that were satisfied by the War Powers Act uh, expired, you know, once we were done 
with World War II and it was in our rear view, uh, that was it. That was the end of the War Powers Act. Now, later on, in response to the Korean War, the Defense Production Act was passed. Now, what, 70 years ago, I believe? Yeah, September 8th, 1950 is when this was passed. Now, what is it? What does it do? It allows the president to direct private companies to prioritize orders from the federal government. We saw this in late March of this year, mid and late March, when President Trump made it be known that he uh, intended on calling upon the powers afforded him in the Defense Production Act to compel General Motors to uh, move themselves, to transition some of their uh, manufacturing capabilities to the production of ventilators. Here's what Trump had to say back in March. We'll be invoking the Defense Production Act just in case we need it. In other words, I think you all know what it is, and it can do a lot of good things if we need it, and we will... Uh, We will have it uh, all uh, completed, signing it in just a little while, right after I'm finished with this conference. I'll be signing it. It's prepared to go. So we will be invoking the Defense Production Act. Historically, there have been a number of instances of invoking the Defense Production Act. Uh, President Trump, um, as you understood there, late March, invoked it in order to increase the production of ventilators, recruiting GM uh, to be a part of that effort. Uh, And if you go back even further, uh, you will see instances where uh, President Obama himself invoked it. Uh, In his time, it was invoked to, uh, to force telecommunications companies to provide some information to the Commerce Department. There were some concerns over Chinese cyber espionage and Barack Obama, President Obama at the time in 2011 specifically called upon uh, the DPA to to make that information available to uh, to law enforcement here in the United States. Anyway, it dates back a long time. Obviously, the Korean War is when it got its start, September 1950. And the revelation most recently on the part of a member of President-elect Biden's COVID-19 advisory team, Celine Gounder, is that the expectation is President-elect Biden, once inaugurated, will invoke that law, giving him the authority to maximize and dramatically increase the manufacturing output of uh, elements crucial to the distribution of a vaccine. All in the name of national security. I think he's right to do that. 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. What do you think? We're going to take a break right now. When we return, shifting gears again, I want to share some information revealed by Intermountain Healthcare here this morning having to do with COVID-19, what we learned over the Thanksgiving break, and what we hope to avoid uh, following Christmas and New Year's. That's all ahead next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy 
but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.